Okay, I think we'll start there then. Um, so it's a very great pleasure to welcome those of you joining in person, as well as those of you joining um, on Zoom to this very exciting event, which is titled Understanding Palestine. Hi, just take a seat. Um, an online journey through contemporary Palestinian realities. Um, this is a really exciting event for us at the LSE Middle East Centre to be hosting. Um, as I'm sure you all know, this event marks the launch of McCann's um, brilliant online resource, which is kind of orientated around expanding accessible knowledge um, to Palestine in the contemporary moment. So really kind of based on trying to bring Palestinian rights, um, kind of knowledge about Palestine into both the kind of public forum as well as in an in a um, accessible format. So really exciting um, to be hosting the event today. Uh, my name is Dr. Polly Withers. Um, I'm obviously not Dr. Michael Mason, who is our center's uh, director. Michael unfortunately has COVID um, as of this morning. So I am standing in as the chair for this event. Um, I work at the center. I'm a Lever Hume Early Career Fellow. Um, my work very broadly touches on gender and sexuality and media culture in the context of Palestine. So selfishly, very excited to be here um, to hear our wonderful speakers. Um, so just some kind of general housekeeping. The event today will run till seven o'clock. It is one hour. Um, Amy and Tamara will speak for around 10 to 15 minutes on their online learning portal. Um, and Achille um, will then respond in around five to seven minutes. The rest of the session will then be dedicated to Q&A. Um, I just want to say at this point, if you do have a question or a comment, please do try and keep it brief and focused on the materials presented here today for the sake of time so everyone can participate. Um, and for those of you joining us on Zoom, there is a Q&A chat box. I'm sure everyone's very aware of Zoom protocol by now, but if you have a question and you're joining on Zoom, please uh, use the, the chat box, um, sorry, the Q&A box, and I will be monitoring that and reading those out to the audience. Um, so, uh, and finally, just want to note that this event is being recorded. Um, so, very big welcome to our speakers, who I'll just briefly uh, introduce before handing over the floor to our panel. So in the middle here, we have Akili Ahmed, who is the Head of Inclusive Education at the LSE Eden Centre for Educational Enhancement and leads the LSE's Inclusive Education Action Plan. Akile's research background is in human geography and sociology, where she has developed innovative and underrepresented research projects on spaces of power and resistance in higher education and social justice. She has worked on three key research projects in this field, progression and diversity of social work, students across eight different UK universities, race in the academy and decolonization, meaning and action. So really honoured to have Akile joining us as the discussant today. Um, here to the left of me, yes, left, is Tamara Ben-Halim. Um, Tamara is the co-director and co-founder of McCann and has worked in Arab civil society for over a decade. She co-founded Cycling for Gaza in 2009 and led various communi sorry, communication and outreach projects while working with venture philanthropy organisation Alphanar. Tamara holds a first-class MSc in Human Rights from the London School of Economics and is a policy member of Al Shabaka. Um, and then finally, on my far left, is Amy Shalan, who is co-director of McCann alongside Tamara. Um, she was previously Chief Executive of Medical Aid for Palestine, MAP, 
She holds a doctorate in the politics of Palestinian literature and has taught at City University and Queen Mary University of London. She has been a regular contributor to The Guardian and has written for a variety of media outlets. So I'm sure you'll all like to join us in welcoming our panel, um, to whom I will now hand over. Thank you very much. And a big thank you also um, to LSE's Middle East Centre for hosting um, this event this evening. Um, I think what I'm going to do, first of all, is just give a bit of background about McCann as an organisation. And then I'm going to hand over to Tamara, who's going to talk in more detail about our online course. Um, so first of all, I just want to go to the, the next slide um, to talk about who we are as an organisation and what we do. Um, so essentially, McCann is a Palestinian-led non-profit organisation, um, and we're working to strengthen voices for Palestinian rights and contribute to transforming the existing narrative on Palestine-Israel to one that upholds freedom, justice and equality for all. And we do this by delivering educational programs and training on Palestine and also intersecting struggles using um, building useful resources and tools for human rights advocates and also connecting people and organizations that are active on the issue to one another. This in includes running educational workshops, capacity building trainings, um, giving virtual talks and also producing online resources such as this um, new online course. And in this way, we're really trying to help strengthen the Palestine movement in Britain and by extension, the global movement pushing for freedom for Palestinians. So really we recognize that the freedom of Palestinians is intertwined with the freedom of oppressed peoples everywhere and that we're therefore in a collective struggle. Uh, if we could go to the next slide, thank you. Um, Essentially, we're the only organization that's dedicated specifically to building the capacities of Palestine advocates through focused educational training. Um, we were established in 2015 in the wake of Israel's assault on Gaza the previous year by two Britain-based Palestinians, Tamara Ben-Falim, who we have here, and also um, Dr. Tarek Bakuni. And that was really with a hope of filling a gap and recognizing that there was really something missing in terms of helping to take the passionate activism that existed on Palestine to the next level. So today we're working at both an educational and a skills building level in the belief that there really is a lot of room for change in the conversation on Palestine. We're working on the basis that there's a really clear need to strengthen the ability of advocates to talk about Palestine and Palestinian rights, especially in an increasingly hostile environment, in a simple, fact-based manner that centers Palestinian voices and knowledge production. So we're addressing key blockers and preventing the mainstreaming of the Palestinian narrative and the growth of a critical mass of support by providing what we would call transformative learning on Palestine, Israel, and also presenting a framing that reflects the reality on the ground, as well as strengthening the movement and creating more spaces for cooperation. Now, the importance of having Palestinians tell their stories, their family histories, their displacement, their lives under military assault, so that they can ultimately shape the conversation about their own struggle can't be underestimated. 
we're consciously working as a Palestinian diaspora-led organization outside of Palestine that takes a sense of direction from the discussions had by Palestinians and then communicating it to our largely Western audience. The overwhelming majority of our workshop educators are Palestinian, and we prioritize Palestinian sources in our material. And in our spoken and written content, we also face, um, focus on Palestinian experiences. Essentially, we believe that education has a broader aim um, of making change happen. And in doing that, it has to do something politically in the sense that it has the power to transform both the way that people think and ultimately the social and political order. Developing historical and contemporary knowledge is vital, but it's also essential to find ways to apply this knowledge so that people can actively push for change. All efforts to educate are, of course, what you say, what you decide to include, what you leave out, how you frame your content. All of that has political ramifications, whether consciously or not. And so investing in people and building their knowledge, skills and confidence when tied to the goal of social change can have an impact not just on the discourse surrounding Palestine, but on policy more broadly. If we could just go a little bit further on. Um, so we're connecting people within the Palestinian rights movement and other social justice movements to try to strengthen our collective impact. And we're doing this by supporting partner organizations and allies to frame and articulate Palestinian rights struggle in their, um, to their constituencies by offering a narrative on Palestine that's simple, accessible and easy to connect with. And also by bringing allied social justice groups together to try to facilitate connections and conversations to overcome fragmentation and isolation in the movement. Most recently, we've been reflecting on our strategic direction and we've been spending time thinking about where we fit in within a wider ecosystem of social justice movements. The Palestinian struggle for freedom and Palestinian groups in particular have a very rich history of forging links with struggles around the world and building meaningful working relationships. So over the past few years, we have seen the emergence of anti-racist movements around the world, the rise of climate justice politics, which has taken inspiration from discourses um, and movements across the global south, and an increasing focus in particular on neoliberalism, austerity, and wealth inequality. So we really understand the importance of engaging with these broader movements and thinking about where we fit in. Increasingly, we're seeing our educational work as tied to movement building and the development of collaborative, meaningful alliances with different groups that are working on intersecting issues. So while the first module of our online course, which Tamara is going to go, um, go on to talk about in much more detail, was developed to provide learners with a deeper understanding of Palestine and the Palestinian people, their contemporary realities and rights, and the frameworks through which their lived experience can be analyzed and understood. We're now in the planning phase for the next module in which we're gonna be taking a much more intersectional approach. And so I think we're gonna go now just to uh, a link uh, to a quick little trailer about the course, and then Tamara is gonna talk about the genesis. Uh, of how it came about. Who are the Palestinian people? Where are they today? And what do their realities look like? Our online course, Understanding Palestine, 
aims to answer these questions among others and is designed to provide clarity for anyone who wants to learn more about this important issue. The course will be broken down into modules that will make it easier to navigate the multifaceted nature of this issue. The first module in this course is titled Contemporary Palestinian Realities and Rights. This module aims to leave you with a deeper knowledge and understanding of the various challenges facing Palestinians today by rooting itself in facts, international law, and human rights, the course cuts through common myths and misconceptions to provide a holistic picture of the Palestinian rights struggle, past and present. Sign up today by clicking the link on the screen. Just waiting for the music to stop. So yes, thank you. Uh, thanks everybody. Thanks to the LSE uh, Middle East Center. Um, uh, for for helping us to launch the course at LSE, which is really, really an honor. Um, so uh, I'll be talking a little bit about why we developed this course uh, in the first place uh, and what this first module that you've um, seen just a little snippet of uh, looks like, as well as our future plans for the broader uh, course of, of understanding Palestine. So why, why an online course? Um, well, early on in the development of our educational workshops, we realized that the model of intensive and interactive workshops alone uh, wouldn't really allow us to have the reach that we uh, envisioned having in terms of you know, reaching thousands of people uh, in a year um, across Britain and, and beyond. Um, and we really wanted to be able to scale up our work without compromising on the quality uh, of our programs. Um, so our workshops currently focus primarily on people who are already active uh, on uh, Palestine and other social justice issues um, and who have a platform as, as activists, as campaigners, for example, at their, at their uh, student uh, Palestine societies. But we also wanted to make sure that we reach other people and specifically the thousands of people that we know uh, exists who, who, who care about Palestine and social justice more broadly, but who aren't necessarily active uh, on the issue on a day-to-day -day, uh, kind of basis. So our answer to this really was was the online course and and really prototyping this first model uh, module that you're that you're seeing. So over the past three to four years, it, it's been a big project. Uh, we've been developing the concept and the curriculum, uh, and then working to actually produce um, this first module of contemporary Palestinian realities and rights. Um, so the purpose of the course is really to uh, equip users uh, who, who take this course with the introductory knowledge and specifically the framing uh, to help make sense of what is happening uh, in Palestine now and in turn to be able to articulate it to others. Some of the questions that we've always wanted to answer through the course include, how do we understand the Palestinian struggle? What is the Palestinian rights struggle actually about? Um, what language uh, can we use to describe it? At what historical point do we start? Um, and perhaps most importantly, how do we talk about the Palestinian people as a whole, as one, uh, while recognizing the differences in the day-to-day -day, uh, struggles of Palestinians based uh, depending on, on where they are? 
So in terms of what the module uh, entails, it really provides uh, more of a beginner's entry point than our other educational programs into uh, the Palestinian rights struggle and focuses on helping to answer some of those questions that you saw our, our narrator mention. So who are the Palestinian people? Where are they? Where, where are they today? And what do their kind of day-to-day -day, um, realities um, look like? Um, so the module roots itself in key historical moments and turning points from the Balfour Declaration to the Nakba and the beginning of the ethnic cleansing and, and dispossession of Palestinians um, to the first and second intifadas, so the Palestinian popular uprisings up until the blockade on Gaza and, and beyond, uh, to help understand the contemporary realities on the ground today. And Importantly, it uses a framing of apartheid and international law, um, so of apartheid as a crime under international law, to help us understand Israel's regime of domination uh, over the Palestinians. And the course also emphasizes the oneness of the Palestinian rights struggle, despite this forced fragmentation that has happened uh, over the decades, and despite the differences, as we've mentioned, in the daily realities of Palestinians living in Gaza versus uh, in um, the West Bank, Jerusalem, uh, as Palestinian citizens of Israel and as uh, refugees. Um, and really recognizing that the struggle for rights, equality, and self-determination is one. So we're really excited to be sharing the course uh, with you all um, and to be uh, launching it here. Please do, after this event, sign up to take it. And if you don't feel like taking it, share it uh, with others. And if you like it, please do share it with others. Um, and just a final point in terms of our uh, future plans, uh, depending on the success, of course, of this uh, first module, uh, we'll be taking into account uh, all the feedback that we receive. So do, do please send it to us um, and we'll be conceptualizing a second module that takes a more social justice-based approach and that looks to other uh, decolonial struggles around the world uh, to help encourage this understanding of the Palestinian struggle as uh, it has always been inherently uh, an anti-colonial one. Uh, yeah, so I'll leave it there and look forward to uh, your questions. Thank you. Okay, great. Thanks very much, Tamara and Amy. I think we'll move now to Ekile, who's going to respond to this really fascinating and very, very rich um, presentation. Thank you. Um, I just want to thank you, um, to Mikan, and, and to you both for being here and, and for the work that you're doing. Um, I just kind of want to spend just five minutes, not too long, because I know everybody will have questions, sort of reflecting on both the presentation that you've given and sort of I've obviously had the privilege to have a look at the course beforehand. And it got me thinking about this idea of realities and truth, particularly in the university setting. And so many of us who are educators will know the famous work of Bell Hooks and this notion of education as a practice of freedom and teaching in a way that anyone can learn. And, but how does one teach when freedom itself is not always present? Freedom in the classroom, freedom to be present both physically and intellectually, right? So. So, and to teach the truths that are not recognized or believed by a majority. And I was really kind of thinking through the work of Ronaldo Walcott, um, who's argued very, very recently about whose truth is recognized and which truth is thought of as knowledge, particularly in the university context. Um, and I was really captured by your choice to teach on contemporary 
Palestinian realities, that really struck me um, because often we'll start with the historical and how that leads. And, and I thought that was really refreshing. Um, and it also got me thinking about this concept of comfort that I've been working on and how we teach, particularly in the UK and across Europe and North America, this notion of comfort is very much at the center of how we teach and what we can teach and making others feel comfortable. And if you think about your own positionality in it, and anything that's deemed outside of that comfort becomes critical knowledge. Mm. And almost like we have to critique the criticalness mm. of what we do. Um, and for me, it was so refreshing to look through what you've done and to see a course and a story be told actually through this idea of shared histories, but also fragmentation, um, the use of narratives, the visuals, scholarship, maps. I mean, as a geographer, the use of maps is so important to tell a story, um, particularly in the context of what we're talking about here. Um, and we often get in the, in the work that I do is how, how is decolonizing possible in the university? How do we do, you know, inclusive learning? Well, these are really great examples of how to reach beyond borders, um, but also in a way that actually puts people who are your story you're trying to tell at the center of it and their narratives. And again, it, it got me thinking of Gail Lewis's work. For those of you who haven't read Gail's work, it is really super interesting and just such a beautiful, she writes very beautifully. Um, and she's recently written a piece around the work using Leanne Simpson's work around presencing and using this verb of presencing. And I'm just going to quote this. Um, that the counter knowledge is created and communicated through the movement of body and sound, testimony and witnessing, remembering, protest, insurrection by creating space of storied presencing, alternative imaginings, transformation, reclaiming and resurgence. So in other words, presencing is an epistemological and ontological praxis of emergence based on felt connection among human and non-human ancestral and contemporary life. It contests and has the potential to detoxify the effects of colonial discourse, historical and contemporary, in which indigenous people are rendered invisible or insensible. And I think it's so important to think about all of these things because decolonizing the agenda of decolonizing inclusivities is on the tips of everyone's tongues, but how do we do it? By centering and giving value to people's truth and saying, we're about to get uncomfortable with these truths and realities. So, and, and to recognize each other's humanities, that's so important. And I think you've done that so beautifully in what you've done. And, and I really look forward to what comes next. And I just want to thank you um, for the work that you're doing. And I think as an education scholar to have something that's open access and about some things that people don't want to talk about um, is so important. So I'm going to end by just saying thank you to you all and thank you to Lily Center for hosting. Thanks so much, Akile. And I think um, just thinking about what you said, the kind of urgency of this, on both a digital platform and in a global kind of context with this kind of terrifying rise of the far right, um, kind of personified in the recent election results in, in Italy, the kind of urgency of this work, particularly being kind of launched through a digital platform, given the kind of networked spread of online hate, violence, misogyny, racism, et cetera, kind of is uh, it really struck me as you were speaking, Achille. Um, Amy and Tamara, do you want to respond to Achille? Well, thank you. <laughs> That's a very nice response to the work. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, yeah, I mean, I think that you you touched on a lot of, of really interesting kind of concepts, particularly, I mean, Bell Hooks and her work around transformative education mm -hmm. and kind of the complexities of mm -hmm. how you do that and mm -hmm. constantly. And I, I think probably as McCann, 
we are constantly trying to rethink and to revisit our, you know, not let anything stay still because mm. we're always trying to improve and to move with the time. So the way in which McCann works, I think even in the short space of time since 2015, when it was established has been, has been an organic process. And, and I wasn't involved in the early days and tomorrow I can speak much better to that, but, um, but I knew McCann uh, from, from its, from its first inception and have been following McCann and, and have very much enjoyed them joining the organization last year. But I think that there's there's a definite kind of progress in, in our thinking and um, a responsiveness in terms of responding to the way that people um, uh, interact with our workshops, I think. And then trying to bring that into the digital space mm -hmm. as well yeah. in terms of an online mm -hmm. uh, resource that people can connect. I think there's all sorts of new things we can do with the next module, mm -hmm. which, which mm -hmm. we're quite excited about. Sorry, tomorrow maybe. Yeah, no, I think that's great. Um, thank you also for your words. I think the, um, what you said about, you know, inclusive education and ensuring things are open access and reaching beyond borders, I think that was really a key uh, principle behind, you know, developing this course. Um, we, you know, there, there's always, of course, a tension between wanting to make sure you're sustainable in the longer term and wanting to make things accessible. But, you know, we always insist that it's, it's the same with our workshops, obviously. Um, you know, we, we do insist that everything we do remains open access to everybody. Um, because that's really the ultimate purpose of our work is to be able to, um, you know, help to to spread uh, knowledge and and help to build capacities um, of people across across the board. And so, um, you know, it's it's timely also, of course, because of, you know, the world going much more digital um, during and and I can't really say in the wake of COVID, but uh, we're still in it. But um, um, so, so yeah, so I mean, as Amy mentioned, you know, the course is, is, is really about reaching people here in the UK, um, in Britain, um, students as well in particular, but it, we really do hope that we're also able to reach um, you know other audiences uh, across across the globe uh, as well with that with that kind of accessibility mm. um, in mind. So thanks for touching on that. Mm. Thanks so much. And I think this this question of open access or the importance mm. of open open access and making knowledge more accessible is just so crucial in today's very kind of polarizing um, world. Um, so sure you'd all like to join me in saying thank you to the panel. Um, and I will now open the floor um, for questions. So again, if you if you are joining from Zoom, um, please raise your comments via the chat box, um, and I'll take questions now from the floor. Um, yep. Can you could you briefly introduce yourself as well? Sorry, yeah, my name's Mark. Where's Mark? Where's Mark? Oh, sorry. Hi, my name's Mike Cushman. No longer of LSC. Now I suppose primarily of Jewish Voice for Labour. When I'm talking about Palestine, I find what silences people is both the content which you're addressing. Well, I mean, I hope, I mean, from what I know about can in the past, I'm sure it's gonna be good. But even more what silences people is even when they have the knowledge, is the fear of being labeled anti-Semitic mm -hmm. for talking about a Palestinian reality. Now I'm not saying you can necessarily cover that in this module, but, this work is only half of it because 
people both have to know about it and have the confidence and authority to speak it in the face of being delegitimized in telling the truth. Mm. Mm. Do you want me to take a round of questions or do you want to go ahead and answer now? Whatever you <laughs> Are there other questions from the floor? Okay, great. We'll take this one here and then if there's one more, we can do the questions in three. Hello, um, I'm Alejandra. I used to be an LSE student um, two years ago. I've worked in Palestine before and it's something that I really care about. So first of all, thanks for hosting this because I've been in other universities in which sadly these sort of events are not allowed. And kind of a follow-up question, have you been um, receiving any sort of pressure from Jewish groups who think that you're being anti-Semitic by having a course like this one? Because right now, one of my big worries is how limited the Palestinian narratives are because a lot of voices are labeled as anti-Semitic when truly they're not. So I was just wondering out of curiosity if you've been receiving any sort of, um, yeah, just like pressure by people and just like labeling an educational course as being anti-Semitic when it's actually telling a reality. And then the second one, really briefly, I was just wondering whether the course, uh, well, first of all, if it's free and open to everyone and yes. yay, okay, amazing. And secondly, I've seen that you have um, included Palestinians living, living in Israel, which I think it's super important. I was wondering if you also have Palestinian living in the Golan Heights and perhaps any spotlights on particularly critical um, occupied cities like Hebron and the realities of those Palestinians in this really really yeah um complex okay thanks, thanks um i'm gonna let the panel respond to these two questions now because they dovetail each other quite um nicely so yeah um should i go with the first one mm -hmm. okay um thank you mike and alejandra um so yes i mean i think our obviously our work uh, and and our in our approach, we're very conscious of the current climate uh, in Britain. And uh, sadly, since we started to now, we've seen, uh, as I'm sure you have with the work of JVL, um, uh, things get uh, the the space closing up more and more, and things get it, it becoming more and more difficult for for allies and advocates of Palestinian rights to speak out uh, across across the board uh, in Britain. Uh, so we're painfully aware of that. Um, and I'd say our, our, our main approach is that knowledge is power. So, you know, providing or, or helping to equip people with not only the facts, not only the framing, but also the confidence. I mean, that's something that maybe we should stress more um, is, is really about kind of achieving the ultimate goal of getting people to not be afraid to speak out. Um, a lot of our work is focused on skill building. Uh, and by that, we mean, you know, how to communicate effectively, how to cut through myths and misconceptions and how to do so in ways that um, avoid common pitfalls. Um, of course, ultimately, if people want to attack you, they will attack you, but it is much more difficult to do so um, if what you're saying is accurate um, and and if if you have you know the 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 necessary kind of skills and 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 framing uh to to be able to to speak out and and also kind of stressing that what Palestinians are calling for um is protected and and kind of covered on, under international law as 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 limited as that 
um, you know, a, approach um, and world order may be, um, but that what Palestine, Palestinians are ultimately calling for um, uh, is is actually nothing different than than what's um, enshrined in international law. Uh, I don't know if there's anything that you that you want to add to that, Amy. Um, no, I would say that it's also very important. I mean, I think the the putting Palestinian voices at the center is so important in terms of pushing back against um, those efforts to uh, delegitimize um, Palestinian history and experience and lived experience now um, too. So I think it's it, it's absolutely critical that we also don't, it, it, become, it, it becomes very difficult because at the moment it's very hard to talk about being Palestinian without the subject of anti-Semitism mm. taking over the whole discussion. So it's very important that we're also holding space in terms of being able to talk about our histories without being pushed off down a route mm. where we're being pushed into talking about things mm. and at the expense of mm. our our own framing uh, of the discussion. Um, I think the other um, issue really is the connecting that we were talking about a little bit earlier, that it's really important to be able to connect the Palestinian struggle with other social justice struggles in terms of not allowing ourselves to be exceptionalized. Um, and that's a real, a really important aspect of it too. So um, it it is becoming more and more difficult, but I think this is the time in which, why it's so important to be working on these kinds of resources is to ensure that that space, we're constantly trying to reopen it um, so that we can, can continue to be heard. Um, in terms of um, whether the course also covers um, the Golan Heights, I mean, we don't specifically uh, talk about the Golan Heights and have those voices, but you know, there, there will be future modules and hopefully we'll be able to do that too. But we have tried to kind of take a broad view and um, speak to the experiences of Palestinians wherever they are, whether that is in the West Bank, Gaza, within Israel, um, within refugee camps outside uh, of um, the occupied territories, and also um, here, here in, in the West as well. So it's trying to sort of take a, a broader uh, um, look at what experiences from all sorts of different backgrounds. Um, and I think, again, that's something we want to get more voices coming in in future modules. Great, thanks. Um, I've got a couple of questions in the chat box. Are there any on the floor? Okay, great. Um, Hi, uh, my name is Mariam. I'm an LSE postgraduate student at Migration. Um, first, I want to say congratulations. And this is sadly brave and, and very exciting and so critical. Um, I think my question is, is for the LSE staff, although I, I'm not sure. Um, uh, you know, I don't have the authority to say that certain other um, that um, I'm in the migration school and there's certainly an anthropological perspective to these issues and a gendered one and a human rights one. And in these courses where um, we're lucky to have Palestine harbored as a case study, certainly in post-colonial studies, it's, we can have an entire post-colonial course and there's no question on, there's no studying of Palestine or um, any of these, you know, again, um, it, it's very much minimized and whose truth is told. And I just wondered from a, 
I think this is going to be wildly successful. And what does this harbor for making inroads with other departments that are so tied to understanding Palestine? And, and what could this mean for making it more institutionalized, per se, so that it's not something that's exceptional, but coursework that, um, that I would take or others would take that absolutely needs to cover Palestine? Um, it's, I, we don't have to seek um, something as exceptional and yet exciting as this, and it's simply a part of the postgraduate or undergraduate or simply the, the experience. And, you know, what does that look like? I don't know if it's a logistical question or, or what this could mean. Um, yeah, I'm just uh, curious, mm -hmm. desiring for, for mm -hmm. more of this in, in what I've signed up for, um, sorely lacking. Yeah. Um, okay, great. Thanks. Um, I'm going to um, come in with a, with a question from the... Um, chat box here because it's also kind of geared around the kind of structural environment in which a course such as this finds itself in a university context there's a question about how you see um the course kind of existing within a sort of conservative moment or conservative environment more broadly um and then there's a very specific um kind of dovetailing on this question um that i think speaks to what you were saying um asking kind of how the course uh, is situated within or or on a university campus setting, um, given very racist uh, legislation like prevent. Um, so just, yeah, there's, I think it dovetails this kind of what's the broader kind of structural environment in which a course like this operates. Um, and then there's a question also about um, pedagogy here, um, interested in the kind of classic academic versus activist uh, link. Um, the, the question's kind of wondering which sort of materials you're using um, to kind of, or are you trying to bridge that link between popular knowledge and academic knowledge? Um, and if so, kind of what are the sources you're, you're using to try to kind of grapple with that um, constructed divide, but divide nonetheless. Um, so thanks, it's sort of ped a pedagogy round. So I'll hand over to you. Lots, lots to say there. <laughs> um, in terms of how how we see the course existing within a, what's very conservative, which I think is a very nice way of putting it, moment <laughs> in history. Um, I mean, I think I think we're hoping that this is something that can play a part in countering some of the. Um, the all pervasive sense of that conservative moment. I think it's really important that there are places that people can go and mm. spaces that people can be in that are, are not allowing that conservative moment to kind of close them down. Um, so essentially I hope that the course will play a role in kind of keeping some space open um, for a different kind of mm. understanding and, mm. and critical thinking. Um, not just on Palestine, but sort of more broadly, uh, I, I would say. Um, how it can exist in a campus setting? Well, we would like your support in that. Mm -hmm. So we would love for it to be existing in a campus setting. And I, I think um, I think there are all sorts of ways in which it could be included within courses. And I very much hope that that you know that people will find it interesting and would put it on uh, as a resource for students mm. to draw on. Um, I think that it's vital that it doesn't become too academic. We weren't mm. trying to be, you know, just existing in an academic space. We want this course to be something that people can access 
who aren't from an academic background as much as from an academic as to inform academia as well so it is a bit trying to bridge that and I think our work often does try to bridge um, kind of the the kinds of discussions that are going on within academia and the kinds of changes that are, are going on within critical thinking with actually a much broader um, uh, inclusive and creative way of learning and I think we see it as that we are always learning um, so it's not an idea sort of in terms of the pedagogy it's that we are as educators are constantly learning and rethinking and um, learning from what people who interact with our workshops and with our with our resources are actually teaching us too so there's it's a it's a and a mutual kind of uh, relationship. And we, we have um, with us one of our workshop uh, uh, facilitators here who, who could also speak, I think, very uh, eloquently to the way in which <laughs> the course goes on. Um, but, but I think the other thing is, is drawing on experts because um, we also have somebody who was participating in the course and we had a number of experts who were um, actually uh, leading a lot of the discussion in the online course as well. So it's drawing from the experience of different Palestinians, but also many of whom are from an academic background mm. as well. So it's kind of a, a rich mix in that sense. Yeah, I think it's a really um, great point that that was made about kind of bridging the gap between the academic and the activist or kind of advocacy um, uh, sphere, and and I do think that's that's precisely like a strength that that McCann has, which is that all of our programs are very strongly rooted in academic rigor, um, uh, and and what we try to do uh, as effectively as we can is to package that and and curate an, a program or an experience or a module, a course um, that makes those sources and makes those, um, uh, yeah, those resources a lot more accessible than they might be otherwise, because um, there's a huge, obviously a huge amount of material out there on Palestine. It's really not lacking in uh, being documented, whether whether it's historically or from a contemporary uh, perspective uh, or by human rights uh, organizations on the ground. Um, the question is, you know, who who actually reads those primary sources um, and and how, how can we can we make some of that uh knowledge uh, more accessible and presented kind of in a in a story as mm. as was um mentioned yeah and just to add to that also it was um the course was um created in cooperation with the institute of palestine studies which has played such an important role in terms of keeping alive both the kind of movement but also the kind of academic Rust uh, for Palestine. So I, I, I think it's, it was great to be able to work in cooperation with them on, on it too. So bridging the academic activist divide in live time. <laughs> great. Thanks so much. Um, okay, I'll take oh, Sorry, can I just. Oh, yeah, I yeah, just, yeah, yeah, sorry. I just, that's a really good question. I forgot your name. Sorry. Um, and I think we have to start holding institutions to account mm. um, because we have a lot going on across the sector in the UK in particular around decolonizing movements and institutions 
being very performative in what they're doing and saying we have inclusive education we're a global institution well global for whom and who's global almost framing the way the knowledge that is produced here as deemed as the only knowledge and I think it's really important that where we have resources like this open access resources and I have to credit the Middle East Centre this isn't I mean for those of you that want to learn more about Golan Heights there is another open access mm -hmm. curriculum available on the Middle East Centre's website um, that is also a really beautiful curriculum um, and these are really great ways of showcasing to people that are let's say resistant to doing this work or to acknowledging or to doing more research in, in, in critical areas, I keep, I'll say critical in inverted <laughs> commas, but I really think we have to hold institutions to account um, because it's very much part of their, of their what are they called? Manifesto, yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's just really, I think the resistance is real, but actually if we can point people into the direction mm -hmm. of courses like this and other resources, you start to you start to say, well, here's good practice. Mm. And I also just want to revisit this idea of academic rigor. Academic rigor according to who mm. as well, and questioning that. Mm. It's really kind of Eurocentralized, you know, notion of academic rigor. Mm. Um, and, and institutions thrive on that. You know, mm. I understand that we're part of that, you know, as well. But I, I just think the personal is political and it does become knowledge and the reproduction of, of this kind of knowledge is so important mm. so thank you for your question it's mm. so so important mm. and particularly kind of taking decolonization out yeah. of the academy and kind yeah. of actually working exactly. on you Probably know yeah. real world colonization yeah. um so thanks very much um there was another question here i think and then some more was there a question yeah yasmin and then Thank you, um, Yasmin Kharfi, Middle East Center. Uh, thank you so much. I really enjoyed um, your presentations. Uh, I have just a quick question. If you have any reflections on the social relations created through taking this course or your other activities, um, you know, we talk about movement building and also the, the issues and struggles around the sustainability of, of kind of, you know, um, these skill sharing activities, the projectification of struggles and how, you know, we operate in a very neoliberal setting that doesn't really um, cultivate this kind of sustainability. So I just wonder in relation to this course or any of your activities, if you have any lessons or insights or even just kind of questions around that that you're thinking of. Thank you. Thank you, Zmin. Hi. Uh, I just want to congratulate McCann and the LSC Middle East Center again on this course. I think hopefully this will be replicated across several universities in the future and will become, well, I mean, I hope even academics themselves at LSC could take it and incorporate what they learn in their own courses. I wanted to touch on something that you mentioned, um, Tamara, that international law is a limited um, framework. And so I was hoping to hear more from you on why you nonetheless stuck with it. And also regarding the apartheid framework, why it was chosen over another framework such as settler colonialism. Thank you. Great, thanks. So final question from anyone in there? Yeah. Rather than content, um, how are you planning to publicize this? Because you said it's very open access. Um, just a very, very like out of curiosity, I think you have quite a a good sample of people here but i'm wondering if you like what's the reach and who's the target audience and how do you tend to to get out to that um especially the fact that like you don't want it to become like almost an echo chamber of people who already like i'm not saying everybody knows this stuff i'm sure you, you guys are going to teach a lot of people things that they don't already know but like going beyond that yeah 
Mm. Okay. Sorry thanks. to ask such a weird question. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So, in terms of the social relations and the movement building, I mean, it's a it's a really great point, and I think it has been a struggle with COVID and with you know remote, you know, so much so much of our lives basically going remote. You know, um, uh, pre COVID, all of our workshops were in person. We had um, you know meetings with. Uh, participants post workshops in person, facilitates or trainings in person. And obviously there's an organicness to that that is really, really difficult to replicate um, online. Uh, on the other hand, you know, the online setting, of course, as we've discussed, has given us a reach that, that we wouldn't have been able to get to otherwise. So I think, you know, um, a lot of it is about uh, having kind of a, a hybrid uh, model where we do continue the online work, but we do go back to the in-person settings where, you know, those kinds of organic conversations and actions can start to happen again and do start to happen. I mean, a lot of a lot of the people that we've worked with over the years, um, you know, continue to uh, work together and campaign together. A lot of the student societies um committees and heads you know met and connected with and, and are now again meeting and connecting with each other through our workshops and that's something that we really want to continue to to build upon and place a focus upon um uh especially because of you know the 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 focal one of the main focal points of activism on palestine in the uk is palestine um societies so i think we still we still have um work to do uh on that but i think you know movement building also a lot of it is is about really strengthening um alliances um also on a partnership on an organizational basis and that's something that we're we've really started to focus on a lot more in the last couple of years both with um palestine and more broadly social justice organizations in the uk and also um North America and of course uh, on the ground um, in Palestine as well but I think this is you know truthfully one of the hardest parts of the work because really ideally you know if you didn't have limited capacity and resources you'd have someone dedicated just to movement building and just to really building those networks and those those connections yeah Amy did you want to add anything on that or no I think that, that pretty much covered it um, if I can touch on the um, the question about international law, which is which is a great one, um, I think you know uh, I did I did my uh, human rights masters here actually at LSE. I think it, I think it was in this building, the center. Um, it was a while ago, um, and one thing that I really liked about the course uh, was that it taught human rights from a very critical. Um, standpoint and perspective which you know i i probably wouldn't have gotten in 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 many other um universities so that is has always been the approach that we've taken as an organization when we talk about international law as a framing in our workshops um the the one of the main and first things we talk about is its limitations um and its shortcomings and what those shortcomings actually are um and yet how we can kind of um utilize it more as a communication tool than than anything else um 
Having said that, um, we are uh, definitely in the last couple of years moving towards uh, more of an understanding uh, and more of a, uh, an approach that looks um, at uh, Palestine as an anti-colonial struggle. We've always talked about settler colonialism, of course, in our workshops, um, but we also have to be careful about how we present um, certain things and we want we want as many people as possible to take the course and to get in to get a foot in the door in the first place um and then we can work on the um educating and the and the kind of uh knowledge building but certainly the next module um will have uh, much more of an explicit emphasis mm -hmm. on understanding palestine as an anti-colonial struggle in connection with other with other um decolonial struggles and and also seeing apartheid as a tool of settler mm -hmm. colonialism yeah. um, i think that's that's the, the way in which we would view it um and then in in terms of how we're planning to publicize the course, who we want to reach, um, who the target audience is. I mean, we are really trying to break out of the echo chamber. So as I think Tamara said uh, earlier, you know, we have been working with people who are active on Palestine. And with this course, we're hoping to reach out to people who don't necessarily know very much about Palestine um, and who, who hopefully would become engaged with the issue. Um, so we're hoping, I guess, in terms of the way in which COVID has actually had an impact on the organization is that all of our work went online. Um, and that meant that actually we were working with lots of different people, a much broader geographical reach than we had done before. Um, and that's opened up all sorts of possibilities. But and as again linked, I guess, to the, the question about social relations and movement building, working and developing relationships with organizations for whom this isn't their central focus means that we can reach out to them and actually hopefully this will sort of get out to a much broader network and especially with the next module which will be bringing in those voices as well in terms of drawing those connections so it is a bit of a building block process but you can also definitely help us in publicizing the course as much <laughs> as possible. We we will be doing a big push on social media um, starting next week. And, and we're hoping also to be able to reach out to lots of different universities, to student groups, um, but also to lots of different social justice uh, organizations as well that we've been working with. Okay, excellent. Thanks so much. We are unfortunately out of time. Um, so sorry if you didn't get a chance to answer to ask your question, um, but please um, join me again in thanking our panel. Um, and thank you very much everyone in the audience for being here and the Zoom audience as well. Please do, um, as Tamara and Amy urge, please do check out the course online, share it among your networks. Um, I'm sure it's going to be a really great resource for kind of multiple audiences and multiple uses usages. So thanks very much again and um, yeah, have a nice rest of your evening.